Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Happy Monday. It's August 28th, the Feast of St. Augustine. Pray for us, of course, great teacher and doctor, father of the church. I love his writings and talked about him with Matt Swaim on the Sunrise Morning Show this morning. So many great quotes from St. Augustine. Of course, one of his most famous, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So St. Augustine again. Pray for us. His mom's feast day was yesterday. And if you ever get the chance and you're in Italy, maybe on pilgrimage or a tour, you can go to his resting place, his tomb in Pavia, which is in northern Italy in Lombardy, a beautiful church. It's interesting, though, because outside, as I mentioned on the Sunrise Morning Show, you could walk by this church and not know that the great St. Augustine is there because it's just a very simple facade, unlike some of the other basilicas in Italy. But it's quite the place if you ever get to go. Coming up on the program this morning, we are going to be speaking with John Bursch from Alliance Defending Freedom. He joined us a few weeks ago, if you remember, a beautiful book from Sophia Institute, Loving God's Children, about everything that's going on with this transgender ideology. Today, however, he's going to talk to us about a case that's developing out of our home state. John is also from the Great Lakes state of Michigan. Catholic News Agency had this story last week, and we're following up on it. A Catholic parish in Michigan is challenging a law that would pressure churches to hire, well, basically control their hiring. So we're going to talk with John about that and also see how he's doing with this book. He's been doing a lot of interviews and has been getting a lot of coverage. And then we are also going to be talking to someone from another wonderful organization, Beckett Law. Will Hahn is going to be joining us. He's a senior counsel there. We're going to look, take a look at what happened in Maryland recently. This happened on Thursday where the court decided that the parents don't have a right to opt their kids out of this over-sexualized and extreme ideology that is being given to kids as young as three and four years old, pre-K, books about all kinds of things, and we'll talk about that with Will, and how this case is going forward, because this is one decision, but it's not over yet, and they are going to appeal And we'll get the latest from the Beckett Law Organization and then wrap up on a Monday as we always do with Gail Buckley and our scripture verse of the week. I hope that the family celebration went well. We'll talk with Doug Keck about that later this week, but it looked like it was a great event. And of course, it was streamed live and you can find more information to see how it went. Maybe consider going next year, God willing. Just go for the information at EWTN.com. We'll be talking about this coming up in the news. There's a big storm that's developing in the south along the western coast of Florida. Idelia is forecast to become a major hurricane early this week in the eastern Gulf of Mexico. And there is an increasing threat of life and threatening storm surge, hurricane force winds, and scattered flash flooding along or in portions of the west coast of Florida, the Panhandle, and the southeast beginning tomorrow. And Florida should closely monitor the storm the experts are saying, and have a plan in place for hurricane safety. So we'll keep you up to date on that. Otherwise, looking pretty clear around the country. No other major issues. Of course, some warm weather in certain parts, extreme weather, but uh, no other major storms, I think, for right now. It is a Monday morning. Again, the Feast of St. Augustine. Thanks for tuning in to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 
Four minutes past the hour in time to get to the news on a Monday. A Missouri trial court declining on Friday to block a law preventing transgender interventions for minors. A judge citing conflicting and unclear medical evidence on the effectiveness of so-called puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. Lawyers last month sued to overturn the law on behalf of families of transgender minors, asking a county judge to temporarily block the law pending a court challenge. Meanwhile, in a social media post, the Missouri Attorney General celebrated that decision said, I said from day one, as Attorney General, I will fight to ensure that Missouri is the safest state in the nation for children. The judge ruling that evidence raises more questions than answers. More than 20 states so far have passed similar laws preventing puberty blockers and surgery. Taking his cue from Sunday's Gospel, in which our Lord asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Pope Francis, as Linda Bordoni reports in the Vatican, says this is also a question we need to ask ourselves. È una domanda che possiamo farci anche noi. Cosa dice la gente di Gesù? Addressing the faithful gathered in St. Peter's Square for the Angelus, the Pope noted that generally Jesus is seen as a great teacher, a special person, good, righteous, consistent, courageous. But he continued, this is not enough for Jesus, who is not just an agent of history, a distant prophet. He's here for us today. He is God who is close to us. Non è un personaggio del passato, ma è il Cristo, cioè il Messia. The Holy Father went on to explain that Christ is not a memory of the past, but the God of the present. Jesus, he added, is alive and accompanies us. He's at our side. He offers us his word and his grace, which enlighten and refresh us on the journey. Assuring believers that they are never alone on the path of life, he said Christ is with us and helps us on our way, as he did with Peter and the other disciples. Meanwhile, in his greetings following the recitation of the Angelus Prayer yesterday, the Holy Father also speaking up about his apostolic journey to Mongolia, which will take place from August 31st to September 4th. The motto of the journey is hoping together, and it aims, he says, to underscore the double meaning of the Holy Father's journey to Mongolia. He says it's that of a pastoral visit and of a state visit, the Pope describing it as a much-desired visit and an opportunity to embrace a church smaller in numbers but vibrant in faith and great in charity. And in an interview with Vatican Radio, Cardinal Morenga, the apostolic prefect in Mongolia, saying the papal visit is an honor and a grace. The successor of St. Peter brings to us an immense gratitude and a sense of uh, belonging, really, to the universal flock of the Catholic Church. Having with us the Holy Father is a great uh, hope, represents a great hope, and the feeling that the Holy Father cares for this small flock, tiny flock of Catholics in Mongolia. And I would say that also from the point of view of the government, this visit is uh, prepared and seen with great expectation. Back to the 13th century, he said, the apostolic prefect recalling when Pope Innocent IV sent his special envoy, John of Plano Cipriani, or Carpinia Franciscan friar, to visit the Mongolian emperors and to establish a link or a connection with them. In other news this morning, Paul Miles tells us a second victim has now died following a mass shooting in downtown Louisville early Sunday morning, and four people who were shot remain in the hospital. The shooting happened around 3 o'clock Sunday morning outside the Southern Restaurant and Lounge at 3rd and Market Streets. Mayor Craig Greenberg says the city began investigating the bar earlier this summer and it was cited for violations. It has become clear 
that there are several bar and club operators who are not focused on a safe environment for residents and visitors. Police say there were two to three hundred people in the area at the time of the shooting. The mayor is calling for discussions on whether bars in Louisville should be allowed to stay open until 4 a.m. Meanwhile, three African-Americans were killed after a shooting at a Dollar General store in Jacksonville that is being described as racially motivated. Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis, is calling that shooting a cowardly act. This shooting, based on the manifesto that they've discovered from the scumbag that did this, was racially motivated. Uh, he was targeting people based on their race. Uh, that is totally unacceptable. The sheriff in the area said the shooter, who was white, sent a manifesto to law enforcement, the media, and his parents, a detailed racial hatred before the shooting, eventually killing himself. The sheriff saying the shooter was armed with a rifle and a handgun, along with a tactical vest, and that no one else was injured. The weapons had Nazi symbols drawn on them. Meanwhile, as Mark Mayfield tells us, the governor of Florida is also urging residents along the West Coast to get ready for Tropical Storm Idalia. DeSantis has placed 33 counties under a state of emergency and says he's mobilized 1,100 Florida National Guard members. He's telling Floridians to listen to local authorities, heed warnings, and to expect power outages. The storm is expected to bring several inches of rain to Florida's west coast, becoming a Category 1 or 2 hurricane before making landfall north of Tampa on Tuesday. And National Hurricane Center Deputy Director Jamie Rome says rain and storm surge could be the biggest dangers along much of Florida's west coast. You don't need um, a strong storm or an impressive storm in this part of Florida to produce life-threatening storm surge. Um, and I think this is going to be the part of the storm that really catches people off guard. Forecasters posting hurricane watches along Florida's west coast from Inglewood to the Big Bend, including Tampa Bay, as well as a storm surge watch. Rain and wind are also likely in some areas, and the storm is expected to become a Category 1 or 2 storm as early as tomorrow and could make landfall by Wednesday. And a hurricane that's expected to gain strength this week and become the first major hurricane of the season is now churning off the coast of the Atlantic. Hurricane Franklin isn't expected to directly impact the U.S. eastern coast, but it could, they say, threaten swimmers with rough surf and rip currents. And forecasters say Franklin will also make some serious impacts in Bermuda and several of Canada's Atlantic provinces. Scott Carr tells us a commander of the U.S. 7th Fleet says China's aggressive behavior in the South China Sea must be challenged and checked. The comments from Vice Admiral Carl Thomas with the 7th Fleet follow the recent use of a water cannon against a Philippine vessel by China's Coast Guard. Thomas says he assured the Philippines of U.S. backing in the face of what he called shared challenges in the region, saying in a statement, my forces are out here for a reason. The 7th Fleet is headquartered in Japan, the largest of the Navy's forward-deployed fleets, and includes as many as 70 ships, 150 aircraft, and more than 27,000 sailors. The Pentagon is investigating after a deadly weekend for U.S. Marines. Two crashes on opposite ends of the earth, leaving at least four dead during a training exercise in Australia on Sunday. An aircraft of 23 on board crashed, killing three and injuring several others. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is warning additional interest rate increases could be coming. While speaking from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, he said inflation has fallen over the past several months, but it's still way too high. At upcoming meetings, we will assess our progress based on the totality of the data and the evolving outlook and risks. Based on this assessment, we will proceed carefully as we decide whether to tighten further or instead to hold the policy rate constant and await further data. 
He said the agency is dedicated to getting inflation down to 2%, adding the Fed will remain flexible as it considers future moves. Jacqueline Carr tells us Stanton Island politicians there requesting migrants have a curfew. Five politicians sent a letter to the Office of Emergency Management Friday asking that an 11 p.m. curfew be instituted at St. John Villa Academy before migrants who they've been fighting to keep out move in. Migrant shelters under New York City Social Services Department already have an 11 p.m. curfew, but shelters run by the Office of Emergency Management don't. Local officials say this puts a burden on police. Officials are estimating the city is currently caring for almost 60,000 migrants. More money being spent on mental health at the start of COVID, a study of insurance claims published on Friday in the JAMA Health Forum, the Journal of the American Medical Association, found spending jumped 54% between March of 2020 and August of last year. Teletherapy increasing access to regular visits is one of the reasons credited for the jump in spending. 45% of the mental health visits were for anxiety, while a third for depression. Researchers finding that the use of teletherapy has not seen a decline since COVID waned. And a mysterious 200-year-old time capsule is being opened today at West Point in New York. It's a small lead box that was accidentally discovered last May inside the marble base of a monument dedicated to a Revolutionary War hero. It is believed to have been buried in the late 1820s by a group of cadets, including Robert E. Lee, the future Confederate general. No one knows what's in it. But speculation includes class rosters, uniform buttons, musket balls, or medallions. The time capsule will be open during a live-streamed event at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And finally, in our news segment, at about 14 minutes past the hour on a busy Monday morning, in the western part of Michigan, the city of Grand Rapids, an effort is underway to save the 135-year-old Polish hall in that city that happens to be the oldest Polish hall in the nation. And Polish National Aid Society President Anna Tuzinski says Jackson Street Hall needs several hundred thousand dollars, and it's not been updated since the 1940s. We will not close. I don't care if the members have to chip in to pay the gas bill. We are not going to close. It was built as a home for the Polish National Aid Society back in 1888 and helped immigrants adjust to life here in the U.S. She also says they need siding, windows, fire doors, concrete, furnace work, and more. And she says a lot of folks are committed to the renovations. 14 minutes past the hour, almost 15 minutes past the hour on a Monday morning. Thanks for tuning in to the EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network. If you're a new listener, welcome. This program, Catholic Connection, is a co-production of EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. Find us both online, EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net. When we come back, we'll speak with John Bursch from Alliance Defending Freedom. But a new situation developing in our home state. He's from Michigan as well. And it's out of Lansing where our attorney general is really trying to uh, take control over whom churches can hire with a new law. We'll be right back. He was a doctor of the church, a Carmelite, and one of the most famous mystics of all time. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. John of the Cross wanted to help all Christians to become saints. One of his most important teachings was to encourage us all to learn how to love. For there is no love, he said, put love and you will find love. He died in 1591. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school, 
They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. Tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to seatonhome.org. That is seatonhome.org. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. 17 minutes past the hour on a Monday morning. John Burst joining us from Alliance Defending Freedom. He serves as a vice president of appellate advocacy for ADF. It's the largest public interest law firm in the world, defending religious liberty, free speech, parental rights, marriage, and family, and, of course, the right to life. He has argued 12 cases in the high court, including cases defending the Catholic Church's teaching on marriage and sexuality, and he speaks frequently to groups, both religious and secular, about topics including marriage, human sexuality, the right to life, and religious liberty. And you've probably heard him on a number of interviews, including on this show on his brand new book from Sophia, Loving God's Children, which takes a real good look at the whole transgender ideology and how do we respond as Catholics. But today we're talking to him about a story that also involves the Alliance Defending Freedom. Let me just read this to you. This is from Catholic News Agency last week on Thursday. A Catholic parish in Grand Rapids, Michigan, is taking a legal battle to an appellate court amid fears that a state civil rights law could be used to restrict its religious liberty in matters related to gender identity and sexuality. Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish is asking the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit to block the State Attorney General's office from using the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to force the parish to hire employees who reject Catholic teaching on sexuality and gender identity or change its policies towards students in its parish school who have same-sex attraction or identity as transge- identify as transgender. The parish is asking the court overturn a lower court's decision to throw out its lawsuit. So, John, here we go again. We were talking during the break, both of us being from Michigan. This attorney general is just keeps just pounding against the Catholic Church. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Teresa. Always good to be here. So what's this latest with this case in this church out of Grand Rapids? Well, this involves a small classical Catholic academy, Sacred Heart Academy, it's uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish, right in the heart of downtown Grand Rapids. And the school itself is a remarkable success story. Um, it was floundering for a few years, and then they turned it into a classical academy, and now it's the fastest-growing Catholic school in the Grand Rapids area. Uh, the kids that they're graduating are absolutely fabulous. Uh, the problem is that Michigan law has changed a lot in the last year. First, the Attorney General, Dana Nessel, argued in the Michigan Supreme Court that they should reinterpret the sex discrimination provision in the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act, which applies to schools, to include sexual orientation and gender identity. 
And then the legislature, after the Michigan Supreme Court agreed with her, made it official by amending the statute. And the problem is that the school lives according to the teachings of the Catholic Church. And so that means they require all of their employees to abide by the Catholic Church's teaching on sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, So that would include um, the the marriages that you have, but also how you identify. Um, And it goes farther than that. They use only sex-based pronouns in classrooms consistent with the teachings of the the Catholic Church. And even things like uh, Humana Vitae or St. Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body, if they were to post those documents on their school website, uh, they would likely be in violation of this amended state law. And the district court said that she didn't think it was likely the attorney general would actually sue the school for any of these violations. Um, we think that she would, and so that's why we're going to the Court of Appeals. So what, what do you think? I mean, if, if it gets up to the high court, don't you think they will rule in the favor of the church, of the school? Um, I, I would sure think so. If you look at the U.S. Supreme Court over the last 15 years, they've been incredibly protective of both free speech and religious liberty. And here we're, we're talking about the very core of those things, the ability of a church and its Catholic school to be able to speak truthfully about the human body, to speak truthfully about marriage, and to be able to hire employees who share the church's mission. Uh, you know, we all know, whether it's a religious organization or not, that if you have employees or volunteers who aren't with the program and they, they don't follow the, the faith or the teaching or the organizational principles, whatever that is, then it doesn't work. You've got to have everybody rowing in the same direction, using the same oars, and a Catholic school should absolutely have the right to do that. And we've seen this in a number of different cases where archdioceses and dioceses have, have been supported in those efforts legally, I mean, when they've taken them to court. Yes, um, all across the country there have been different instances where parishes and dioceses have um, applied these same types of employment rules based on the, the teachings of the Church, um, and, and it's not just limited to sexual orientation and gender identity. If you had a, a teacher, for example, at a school who had a baby out of wedlock, right. that would be problematic. That case um, just know, happened, that, as a matter of fact. Yeah, It yeah. did. You know, and, and so as a, a church, you always want to try to bring those, those folks back into alignment with church teaching. But if they're unrepentant and they're not willing to do that, then they can't be an employee of the diocese or of the school anymore. And so it's going to take a U.S. Supreme Court ruling to stop the schools and the parishes and the diocese from being sued over these types of matters. Um, But I think it's only a matter of time until we get there. We're talking with attorney, speaker, and author John Birch with Alliance Defending Freedom. This case in particular in which he's involved is out of both of our home state, Michigan. We both live here. And it, there's a story on Catholic News Agency. If you'd like more information, we'll post it on the link to the interview with John today in our archives. A Catholic parish in Grand Rapids challenging Michigan law that would control whom they hire. It, it seems that they just keep just going after Catholics and other uh, folks who are trying to follow their faith. I know that in this case it sounds like we're being on the offense rather than the defense, but are you seeing, we were talking during the break, that, that you're doing a lot of work involving this attorney general, unfortunately, in Michigan? Yeah, it's unfortunate that this attorney general, this legislature, this governor seem to be incredibly hostile towards people of faith, um, and, and particularly the religious values that we hold dear in the areas of sexual orientation and gender identity. So we've been talking a lot about this Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act, and that applies not only to schools, but all kinds of other places of public accommodation and things like that. Uh, but in addition to that, the, the legislature recently passed a law, a counseling censorship law, 
that would prevent a Catholic counselor, for example, from counseling a minor who wanted the therapy to align their mind with their body if they were having gender dysphoria. Um, they could lose their professional license for engaging in that kind of counseling. There's another law that has passed one chamber of the legislature, um, and they're probably going to consider it again when the legislature comes back into session, and it would make it a five-year felony to um, offend somebody, basically, on a repeated basis. So what that meant is if you had, say, a, a Catholic street preacher, and um, they continually referred to people only using sex-based pronouns rather than gender identity preferred pronouns, um, they could go to jail for five years simply for engaging in that speech if someone was offended by that. Um, so, so what you see is an attempt by this government to shut down all of those who hold teachings like the Catholic Church does from even being able to speak in the public square, from being able to operate their churches and schools in a way that accords with their faith. And so we need to continue to stand strong in that gap, and we need um, Catholics everywhere to speak out about it. Now, in terms of, of that, that law that they're going to be looking at again, which is, which is just off the charts, I mean, crazy. So basically, anybody who is engaging, when they, when they talk about speaking out about this and this particular measure that they're, that they're trying to, to, to shove through the legislature in Michigan, is that anyone speaking or is that a personal conversation? It doesn't seem to be really specific in what they're talking about. No, it's a very vague um, statute when it comes to offending people. And so presumably it could include something um, you know, as broad as you speaking on this show about yep. gender ideology from a Catholic perspective. And if someone was repeatedly offended by that, then it's possible that this attorney general might give you a call. Right. Or, obviously, someone at a parish, right? Or someone give, giving a talk at a parish. Just unbelievable. More with John Burcham. We come back. Have you found your passion in life? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. The late Betty White once said, quote, Everybody needs a passion. That's what keeps life interesting. If you live without passion, you can go throughout life without leaving any footprints. Do you have a passion? Finding your passion is often a real challenge. My wife's passion is sewing. When she sews, time just flies. If you haven't discovered your passion, pray, and then write down a few things in a journal. Create a personal vision statement. List your strengths, weaknesses, and charisms. Enhance that list with things you love to do. List the things you don't love. Write your own values. Pray and dream about what your passion is with Christ at the center. Listen for answers, then try something. Serve. Just do it. Are you dreaming big about finding your thing? God loves big dreams. He's a big God. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on this at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. What is the life of our heart? The Catholic Catechism answers prayer is the life of the new heart. It ought to be the source of our animation at every moment, but we tend to forget the one who is our all. The fathers of the spiritual life in the Deuteronomic and prophetic tradition say that prayer is a remembrance of God often awakened by the memory of the heart. We are to remember God more often, says the Catechism, than we draw breath. We cannot, however, pray at all times if we have not learned to pray at specific times. The tradition of the Church proposes morning and evening prayer, grace before and after meals, the liturgy of the hours, Sundays centered on the Eucharist, the cycle of the liturgical year with its great feasts as the basic rhythms of the Christian's life of prayer. There are three major expressions of prayer, 
vocal, meditative, and contemplative. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. On a Monday morning, John Birch is an author, a speaker, and an attorney with the Alliance Defending Freedom. We're talking this morning about a case out of our home state of Michigan where a Catholic parish is challenging a Michigan law that could control whom they hire. Uh, John, we were talking during the break. All these things remind me of, okay, let's just keep you so busy. And I use that pronoun. Here we go again with the pronouns, right? <laughs> use that pronoun, <laughs> you, because I'm, I'm referring to all of us who want to defend the faith and defend it with love, as you say in your, in your new book, Loving God's Children, All Children. And even just speaking it lovingly, just talking about the, 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 the truths of the teaching can get us into a lot of trouble. I mean, we're used to the, the criticism, and, and oftentimes, I mean, if you're in, in the public sphere, I mean, that comes with the territory, not, not justifying people being nasty. But what I'm saying is, because we're to the point now where they're just trying to silence us every single way they can. And if they can't silence us and they want to drag us down, get us into court, drain us financially, which is why it's so important to have organizations like yours out there. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, Alliance Defending Freedom does do all of its work pro bono. Uh, so if you're facing a counseling censorship law in Michigan or uh, you're, you're prosecuted because of this new, you offended me a few times law, Uh, give us a call or come to our website and and ask for help. Uh, But I I think the the goal here, and I've talked about this a lot in discussing my book over the last several weeks, that those who oppose the Church's teachings, especially on something as fundamental as what the human body means, um, want to shut down the debate because when we have an open debate, the truth wins. You know, the, the, the facts about gender ideology are so stark that most of the kids who suffer from gender dysphoria, if left to their own devices, will naturally align their mind with their body. But if we affirm them with pronouns and cross-dressing and allowing boys to be on the girls' track team and use the girls' showers, uh, almost 100% of those kids will go on to a lifetime of dysphoria. And the best long-term studies that we have show that adults who transition have higher suicide rates, higher incidence of mental health problems, permanent infertility, and other medical problems. So when these are the facts that are discussed openly, whether that be on the radio or at a, a parish meeting or at work, even in a, you know, a public workplace. Um, that's the kind of truth that carries the day. And so they don't have any response to that other than to try to shut it down with laws and lawsuits threatening to not only fine but even imprison people for speaking the truth because that's all they have. And even when you have countries as liberal as, or areas as liberal as Denmark, for example, you have Denmark, uh, you have now Sweden, Norway, Great Britain, all these places are backing off of the surgeries and the puberty blockers. Denmark is the latest, and, the, and that area of, of Europe is probably Netherlands, you know, some of the most progressive areas going, and yet they're still saying they realize that they pushed this too quickly, and they were not examining, especially the young people that were expressing an interest in, quote-unquote, transitioning, and they did much more harm than good. So you've got Denmark, for crying out loud, Great Britain, <laughs> Norway, Sweden, and here we are in America just pushing forward not only with the ideology but trying to threaten people legally, as we're discussing this morning, if they don't kowtow to their extremism. Yeah, what's important about those um, Scandinavian and other European countries is, is number one, um, publicly, they're very accepting of transgender identities. And so you can't say that the negative results that they're seeing with these medical interventions are because of 
you know, negativity and bullying and things like that, which is the same nonsense they talk about here in the United States. The other is that those countries were the leaders in the world right. in this kind of medical therapy. And as you said, they're all stepping back now and saying, at, at a minimum, it doesn't help. Um, but most likely, it probably harms. And yet in the United States, we're not only pushing ahead, the American Medical Association and Planned Parenthood and others very enthusiastically embrace uh, the agenda. But all across the country, not just in Michigan, um, you've got government officials trying to silence folks. So, so take the, the counseling um, therapy censorship laws. Uh, there are more than 20 states that have those laws in effect right now, more than 100 jurisdictions total, where you can lose your professional counseling license, even if it was someone who had transitioned to a different um, gender and then detransitioned back. So a, a detransitioner who desperately needs counseling help in more than 100 jurisdictions in the United States, they won't be able to get a counselor because that counselor could lose their license. You know, it, it, it's criminal that we would punish pure speech like that. Uh, we have a cert petition with the U.S. Supreme Court where we're asking them to take a case right now on behalf of Brian Tingley. He's a counselor out of the state of Washington. Uh, but if they don't take that one, then maybe it'll be the Michigan lawsuit that eventually moves forward that will, will take that place. Um, but the important thing that your listeners need to remember is that as lawyers, all we can do is keep the doors open for the spread of the gospel, for people to be able to teach the truth. That's the mission statement of Alliance right. Defending Freedom. And it's up to all of the people in the pew to exercise that freedom by going out and talking to their family members and their friends and their coworkers and anyone who will listen about these truths that the Catholic Church teaches and which are completely consistent with science in this area of gender ideology. Well, just looking at the story that came out a week ago regarding Denmark, Denmark joining the list of countries that have sharply restricted youth gender transitions, and I talked about this on my show last week as well. A major medical journal, the Journal of the Danish Medical Association, confirming there has been a marked shift in the country's approach to caring for youth with gender dysphoria. Most youth referred to the centralized gender clinic no longer get a prescription for puberty blockers, hormones, or surgery. Instead, Here's a concept. They receive therapeutic counseling and support. So this is Denmark. Denmark. Yes, and yet that counseling therapy and support that they're talking about is illegal in 100 jurisdictions in the United States, including more than 20 states. They don't even want people to talk about it. You know, and so when you, you think about Sacred Heart Academy, where we started with the right. school, you know, that, that's just really a part of the, the larger puzzle. It's mm -hmm. just one piece. Um, where they, they don't want you to be able to hire in accord with the faith. You don't, they don't want you to be able to speak in accord with the faith. Um, they certainly don't want you talking about theology of the body on your website or in, in public fora because people will be offended by that. Um, and it's just all the more reason why we need to speak loudly and clearly as Catholics about these issues, because the, the Church's teachings about the human body are really beautiful. You know, the, the whole notion that we are embodied souls, not souls trapped in a body, and that our physical nature, our maleness and our femaleness, expresses something about who we are. You know, Pope Francis speaks about this whole so beautifully, that if you reject that gift, you're rejecting God who gave you mm -hmm. that body, but mm -hmm. it also prevents you from having authentic relationships with other people because you're not expressing the person that God made you to be, but instead something that you self-created. So anytime that we try to wrest control from the Creator, and as creatures decide to take matters into our own hands, it's disastrous for our relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, and it's a disaster for our relationship with those around us. 
Do you remember, and I know you do as an experienced attorney and, and also in, in the work that you do pro-life and family-wise, under the Obama administration, they were talking about, oh, we just want you to stay in your churches in your own corner. Just stay there and, and don't take it out into the streets. Now, and this is what we were talking about here, and you were on with us and so many other people. Eventually, they're going to say, no, you can't even do that. Once you start down that road, and this is now what they are doing. No, even if you stay in your own circles and don't, quote, unquote, preach out on the street, which are called to be in the public square, right, by, and evangelized by virtue of a baptism we can't even do that now because it's offensive to somebody that's exactly right and there's a a dramatic difference that some people don't fully appreciate between the u.s constitution and the constitution of some other countries in that respect in other countries they have a freedom to worship so you can go to your church your mosque your synagogue and you can pray there and, and not be interrupted but in the united states we have free exercise of religion which does mean the ability to take our faith into the public square, into places of employment. And there are many laws that protect those rights. Yeah. Uh, but it, and we're glad you're there to help us, John. Thank you. We're out of time. John Birch from Alliance Defending Freedom. Check out his new book, Loving God's Children. Father Benedict Groeschel. In the church, we speak of seven gifts. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, loyalty, courage, and reverence or fear of the Lord. When I speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts come, they give you the ability to go beyond your strength. If you're struggling to be a good person, a good member of your religion, you know it's a struggle and you don't always make it. I've been at it many, many decades, and I still struggle and trip and fall and have holes in my socks. Struggling to be a good person, something that we need help at. And this help comes to us by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. We live right now in dark and confusing times, but Jesus is always at work. We shouldn't allow ourselves to forget what we know just because we're facing many circumstances that are threatening and confusing to us. You know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know that he's poured out his Holy Spirit and formed his body on the earth and that he is the head of the body in heaven and his body is right here on earth. You can point to it. Jesus didn't just leave us a set of teachings. Jesus, in fact, gave us himself. The church is ultimately the deifying union between Christ the head and the sanctified members of his body. And so just as the Lord unfurls himself into the Eucharist, Jesus is also extending his divinely human presence into his mystical body, the church. Cresta in the afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thirty-nine minutes past the hour. Catholic Connection on a Monday morning. Will Hahn is senior counsel at Beckett Law. Now, Beckett Law has been involved in this story that broke last week out of Maryland. You may have heard about it. It's a, a huge story, at least it is in conservative circles. The secular media are covering, but they are not giving it the attention, especially the type of books to which these pre-K, including pre-K kids, are being exposed in this school district just north of uh, Washington, D.C. Anyhow, what happened on Thursday is a court rejected Maryland parents' plea to restore their opt-out option. 
They don't want their kids being exposed to particular extreme agendas, especially when it comes to transgenderism, LGBTQ. And some of these books that they're proposing for kids as young as three and four, I think most people would have a real problem with. So, Will, what's the latest? Fill us in on what happened. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for your great work at Beckett Law. What happened on Thursday? Good morning. Yeah, unfortunately, on Thursday, a federal judge in Maryland ruled that parents in Montgomery County don't have any right to opt their children out and receive advance notice of books that, starting as early as pre-K, teach them how to identify and encourage them to change their pronouns, tell them, as the school board says, that they should be have their either-or thinking on sex and gender disrupted, and to teach them on issues of sexual orientation and gender identity in ways that, as the school board has said in court, may not easily be contravened by the parents. Uh, this is really a tragedy because it upends not only a long-standing policy in Montgomery County, which allows opt-outs and advance notice to people, parents who have religious objections on all manner of things. It is against Maryland law, which requires opt-outs on all instruction in family life and human sexuality, a view that's shared by 31 other states and most of the country where you have to even also opt in as a parent if you want your kids to learn this kinds of instruction, and also the federal constitution, which protects the right of parents to direct their children's religious upbringing. So very, the very next day, we filed a notice of appeal in the Court of Appeals above the trial court in Maryland, and we're going to be uh, seeking an immediate restoration of this right to opt out while the parents' rights are resolved on appeal. So how did they get around the laws that were in place? I think a little background might be helpful. How did they get around this, given that, as you said, there were so many laws in place to protect parents? Sure. There is a longstanding tradition of acknowledging the parents' rights to direct their children's education on on religious-related issues, especially in public schools. Uh, But unfortunately, the district court's view, the view that the school board adopted, is that once you send your children to public school, even if you have no other choice, you can't afford private school, there's no other option open to you, you lose all rights over what your children learn. They can teach your children to have their thinking disrupted based on what the parents are teaching. They can teach their children in things that may not be easily contravened by you as a parent. Uh, there is simply no right uh, that you have as a, chi- as a parent to direct your children's education once you've given them over to public school. That has no basis in the Constitution. It has no basis in our longstanding traditions. No U.S. Supreme Court decision has ever said that, and we intend to vindicate the parents' rights on appeal. What's so, what's so important about this, it was, there's so many levels, but the, the variety of people who spoke out against this, they were from all backgrounds and faiths, correct? Yes, absolutely. We represent a religiously diverse array of clients, Muslim clients, Catholic clients, Protestants, Jews. There are over a thousand people, I believe, protested at one board meeting. Uh, we have hundreds of families who have signed up with an association we represent called Kids First. So while these parents have various disagreements religiously, they are all united on the fact that Parents have the right to direct their children's religious future, not above a public school. Public schools are supposed to be partnering with the parents, educate their kids. That's why they have authority in the first place. And so to have a policy that deliberately excludes parents from their kids' own education is a betrayal of the authority and the trust the parents have put in public schools. And that's what our clients want to see vindicated. 
We're talking with Will Hahn, Senior Counsel at Beckett Law, about this case out of uh, the Montgomery area, Maryland, the school district there, are rejecting the parents' rights to have their kids or opt out their kids of these uh, extreme agenda in the material. Now, the judge is claiming that this doesn't look like indoctrination, that the parents are going too far in saying this. I don't know how that, just looking at, at the titles of these books to which these young kids, some as young as three and four, could be exposed, how do you not say this is indoctrination? It's kind of amazing. Uh, starting in pre-K, we are apparently asking pre-kindergartners to identify as they must have pride puppy, drag kings, drag queens, a celebrated sex worker, identify words like underwear and zipper, and also have them discussing issues of childhood romance and what it means to like-like someone on the playground. Moreover, it's not just the parents who saw that this is teaching gender ideology and sexual orientation ideology per se. Montgomery County Public Schools' own elementary school principals warned the school board about this last fall. They issued a memo saying that these books and the guidance that you've given our teachers to teach these books are going to be dismissive of children's religious beliefs. They're going to require our teachers to make shaming comments to children, and they're going to require our teachers to state as facts things that some would not agree are facts. And nevertheless, the school board forged ahead. And what's amazing about that is until March 23rd of this year, the school board, consistent with its policies on everything else, allowed for advance notice and opt-outs to these books. But then on March 23rd, the board just reversed course without any public explanation and took the opt-out rights away from our clients. And stripping them of those rights only underscores why this is such a serious violation of parental rights. Why the change, do you think? What happened? Well, what the school board has said in court is that there were concerns about there might just be too many opt-outs. Now, setting aside the kind of tone deafness of forging ahead with a policy that you already think so many people disagree with, it's just the case that that's not supported by the record. Uh, There have been interactions with the school board that have said that what this was really about was wanting to avoid hurt feelings, not any concern about administrability. But on top of that, uh, Montgomery County Public Schools is a school district with 160,000 students spread across a variety of schools with significant religious and cultural diversity. And all of those students have a right under Maryland law to opt out of any instruction on family life and human sexuality. So it's just bizarre for the school board to say that it's not prepared to implement Maryland law. And some of the books, too, I've got some titles here. Pride Storybooks include selections such as My Rainbow, which tells the story of a mother who creates a rainbow-colored wig for a child. The book presents as transgender, Born Ready, the true story of a boy named Penelope, recounting the tale of a biological girl who identifies as a boy and who struggles to convince the world that she is male, Prince and Knight and Love Violet tell same-sex romance stories. And this is just some of the highlights and some of the stories that are out there in conservative circles because very few, if any, of the secular media stories I've seen, Will, are describing these books that are going to be given to very young children. And I think they're doing that purposefully because obviously this is the reason why so many parents, including atheists, came and complained about this. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is, an, this is not even a question about the, the books themselves or the challenge to the curriculum itself. This is really a question of who is the first teacher of your child. I mean, having these kinds of conversations, however you think about these issues, 
These are life-altering decisions. These are complex and sensitive issues. Of course, parents are the first teachers, and of course, they have the ability as parents to speak to their kids and work with them on these issues first. And for the school board to deliberately and intentionally exclude them from their kids' own exposure and and instruction in these areas is a violation of their rights as parents. Have you heard from any teachers behind the scenes? Because I'm sure there's a lot of teachers who aren't for this and may have even, as you said, were part of those warning the officials regarding this. I mean, a lot of people have spoken out against this, both within and out of the school system. And I think that once again demonstrates the but it demonstrates the unwisdom here, but more, but more fundamentally, the the whole point of school boards having this kind of authority to teach kids and come up with curriculum is to respect the parents and to act on their behalf. But if you're deliberately cutting the parents out, then you're undermining your own basis for authority. So it's both illogical and unconstitutional. So are you optimistic that that this one will be a win in the end for parents? I think in the win in the end it absolutely will be. Upholding the rights of parents to direct their children's religious upbringing is as the Supreme Court has said beyond debate in our tradition. So in the end we will prevail. So is there anything parents listening uh, can do to prevent something like this from happening in their school district given what's happening across the country in places like Montgomery County? Well, as we always say, if you want to defend your religious liberty, you need to exercise your religion confidently. Don't be afraid to bring your religion into public life and actually direct your children's religious upbringing. That's your right as a parent. Be vigilant in your public schools. They are supposed to be working with you and for you. And you can go to BeckettLaw.org to learn more about the case and to uh, learn more about Kids First, the association of families that we have in Montgomery County who are um, being uh, represented by us in this case. Will, thanks so much. God bless you and the work that you're doing at Beckett Law. Will Hahn is a senior counsel at Beckett Law, updating us on a story that broke last Thursday. And we'll be in touch to see how this goes. And we're going to pray that, uh, that our constitutional rights and the rights of the parents and the kids are protected and upheld. Thank you so much. And we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk with Gail Buckley when we come back in our Scripture Verse of the Week. Stay tuned. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. 
You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Wow, Gail. So your verse today, again, ties in with our discussion we just had. We were just talking with Beckett Law about what's happening in Montgomery County in Maryland and how ah. the parents lost their case and opting out. They're still going forward. They're, they're going to be, you know, uh, countersuing and whatnot, but and taking it. But the parents are being told that the kids are going to be going, uh, they, they can't stop their kids from being exposed to all these, you know, extreme agendas, pre-K and through fifth grade. And here you are with this verse. Yeah. So do tell. Go ahead. Oh, yes. The verse today is from Matthew eighteen six, and it says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And, and Teresa, I was listening, like you said, I was listening to the news recently and regarding some of these things being taught in schools. You know, sex education for elementary students, even kindergarten, and starting, you know, in kindergarten. And then there are these books that they have in schools now. They have pictures depicting sexual acts, including sexual acts between people of the same sex. And they're graphic. It's just amazing. I can't believe it. And our children's innocence is being stolen and they're being corrupted. I, I couldn't help but think about this verse, you know, that where mm-hmm. Jesus says that, you know, it would be better for them to suffer the terrible consequences of having this millstone tied around their neck than what they're going to face at the end of their lives when they face our Lord. You know, by the way, I don't know if everybody knows what a millstone is, but it's this huge stone that's carved into the shape of a wheel that's used to grind uh, Mm -hmm. wheat. And they sometimes weigh hundreds of pounds, even thousands of pounds, some of them. And to have that kind of thing done to you, you know, it's just a horrific kind of a punishment. You know, but I would have never believed, Teresa, that this kind of thing would be going on in my life. I just cannot believe that that people are, you know, promoting. And our teaching, you know, teachers and medical personnel involved in not only teaching perversion, but promoting and advising, you know, advising transgenderism and, you know, gay lifestyles to children. And, of course, worst of all is abortion, you know, killing children mm-hmm. in the womb and celebrating it. You know, even Oprah Winfrey had, you know, she was saying, shout your abortion and be proud of it. It's just, it's demonic. It's just mm-hmm. demonic. And St. James says, not many should become teachers because those who teach will be judged more severely than others. And of course, I know they're good teachers. Not everybody's participating in this kind of perversion, but woe to those who are. It's just unbelievable what's going on. And the, and the parents, you know, not being able to do anything about it, like you said. I can't believe it's happening, you know. Well, I think we have to be aware of it, and I think some people don't realize just how bad it's gotten because they're, they don't hear it on a regular basis because certain areas of, of the media aren't covering it. That's right. why we need shows like this and when we need ministries like yours. It's a really, really important verse, and I think the analogy of a millstone, I mean, that really, Jesus is saying this is serious uh-huh. stuff, right? It really is. It's terrible. Um, 
And I just think about abortion is the worst thing ever. I mean, that's the biggest crime and sin um, that's going on. And then this to follow it, I just don't know how long our Lord's going to put up with it. No. You know? Well, he's I a merciful God, that's for sure, right? Because he's yes, always he giving us a chance to turn around and accept the beauty and the truth of Scripture and the teachings of the Church. Gail, thank you so much. Uh, very insightful. Absolutely. And once again, I, interesting how the Holy Spirit works because you're a verse, and you didn't know with <laughs> whom we'd be talking today, and no. it ties in directly with what we were discussing. Where do we find Catholic Scripture Study? It's at cssprogram.net. All right, my dear, you have a great week and look forward to talking to you. Next week is Labor Day, so it'll be two weeks before we speak again. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Connection, and we'll talk to you tomorrow, God willing, on Domani on a Tuesday. St. Augustine, pray for us. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E Maria Radio dot net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.